0: Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And
1: And you're you're listening listening to Fathomless.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to Fathomless. Not only is it Monday, a.k.a. episode drop day, but it is fucking Halloween. Spooky
1: scary. Spooky scary. Happy
0: Halloween. Happy Halloween, guys. It's our favorite holiday. Literally the best. And then after this, is just Thanksgiving and Christmas. and. Just, but
1: I love the holiday yeah, season.
0: The most wonderful time of the year. It's my
1: favorite time of the year. It really is. Yeah. I but, love
0: it. Yeah. So last week, we dropped both parts of the New Bedford Highway Killer episode, and Holy fuck, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah,
1: what a trip. It, it, was, it was crazy, a lot. yeah.
0: It was a lot. So today we are going to give you actually two episodes again as a little Halloween treat. Jen is going to be covering a Halloween murder, and I'm going to be giving us a spooky urban legend episode. And yeah, before we get into it, I did want to just, you know, again, say I'm so sorry if we sound super nasally. We're still kind of really sick while we're recording this. And um, also, I know we haven't said this in a couple episodes, but we're so sorry if our audio gets, like, kind of quiet and then, like, it's really loud. We're still, again, we're still kind of figuring this out as we go. We are going to be ordering a couple new pieces of equipment that will hopefully kind of fix that and we won't have so many audio issues. I know it's not terrible, but...
1: It's a little quiet sometimes. It and is, then there's, yeah. like, some static. We're, again, we're still learning.
0: Yeah. I'm not we're a very uh,
1: techie person as it is. New. So
0: No, and I am, uh, I mean, we both work, so, like, I do the best I can on the weekends to try and, like, fuck around with this stuff. But, you know, we're still learning. Like I said, we're going to hopefully be getting some new equipment soon that'll really kind of fix that so yeah just, all the research i all the
1: way up and yeah, you'll be good you can hear us we're
0: so sorry if it sounds weird we just wanted to give a little disclaimer of that but we appreciate you guys powering through it with us and listening anyway so <laughs> jenna's gonna take it away and tell us all about this case she has
1: all right so today's case that i'm gonna cover is technically still unsolved one man was tried and convicted but that conviction went back and forth a few times. I'll later get into that. Okay. Um, if you've heard this case before, I feel like we all kind of know who did it. Yeah. Um I don't know if you know too much about this case. I've heard of
0: it. If it, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I do kind of remember this. This is in Connecticut, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. So Okay, yeah.
1: Um because some people think they're entitled to anything, even murder. Um they got away with it because of important family connections. Ugh. Which again, we'll get into that. Um, but also it was the seventies, the police work was sloppy, forensics wasn't a thing, so on and so forth. Um, but again, that's my opinion, who I think did it, and we're all entitled. To Are they still alive to our this opinions? Day? I think so. Okay. Actually, yeah, because the most recent thing happened in 2020. Oh, okay. This went on for a long time. Fun. So he's definitely still alive, a free man. Um, I do want to give a trigger warning for this episode. I'm going to talk about an extremely brutal murder, full of details. It's a really horrific and tragic case, but we need to be the voices for those who are no longer here to speak for themselves. And this victim's voice deserves to be heard. So today, I'm going to tell you all about the murder of Martha Moxley.
0: All right. Yeah.
1: So I watched a 48 Hours episode called The Diary of Martha Moxley, and that's where I got most of my information from, but I did list my other sources in the show notes. Okay. So in October of 1975, Martha Moxley was a popular 15-year-old girl living with her family in Greenwich, Connecticut. On October 31st, 1975, Martha's body would be found under a tree on her property. She was exposed and beaten to death.
0: That is terrible. 15 years old. Absolutely terrible. So about
1: Martha. Um, Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Martha Elizabeth Moxley was born on August 16th, 1960 in San Francisco, California. Sorry, my notes were a little unedited there. So, San Francisco, beautiful city. Um, I loved it there when I went to visit. Uh, she was the daughter of John David and Dorothy Moxley. Martha grew up in Piedmont, California with her parents and her older brother, John. And at the time of her death, she was five foot five, one 120 pounds, and had long blonde hair. So, really beautiful.
0: Yeah, I've seen pictures. She's adorable. So, so in
1: 1974, her family moved from california to greenwich connecticut and they lived in the bell haven neighborhood and usually a move like this across the country would typically be hard for any 14 year old girl but not for martha she quickly made new friends at her new school getting straight A's. she played basketball and she was even voted best personality in middle school yeah martha liked everybody and everybody liked her people in the northeast are usually more reserved very much like themselves yeah not friendly
0: rude, rude as fuck
1: as everyone in the south will tell you yeah but martha was described by her childhood friends as being an extrovert the california girl of all of us oh yeah a- i love that which was so so sweet so she was a beautiful young friendly girl who literally had her entire life ahead of her yeah she was a baby baby Martha was 15 years old and a sophomore at Greenwich High School when her life was tragically cut short. So about the Bellhaven Haven neighborhood, um, it's a neighborhood in Greenwich. It's a very wealthy neighborhood, uh, more high class, uh, a, gated. Yeah,
0: like lots of gated
1: community, yeah, right? Yeah, patrolled by security. And it was, like, very close to New York City. So I looked up, like, Greenwich, Connecticut, and it's, like,
0: New York Right City. on the border.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. So, it's right in the water. The houses are enormous and beautiful. The homes are described as luxury real estate. And houses, like now, like today, they're in the multi-million dollar price range. Yeah, it doesn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. So, I'm not sure what they were like in the 70s, but even then, Bellhaven was an extremely prestigious neighborhood. It was unlikely that strangers would be able to get past security, suggesting that suggesting that the murder was committed by somebody in the neighborhood. Yeah. Another family living in Belhaven was the Skakel family, Rushton and their seven children. The Skakels were actually related to the Kennedy family through marriage. Ooh, fancy. Yes, like the Kennedys.
0: Fancy. Yeah.
1: So President John F. Kennedy's brother, Robert, married Ethel Skakel, which is Rushton's sister. Oh, wow. So like. Yeah. Really yeah. Real close. Pinkies out, guys. Yeah. Um, Russian had inherited a fortune from the family's mining company, establishing their own wealth. Reports say that the Skagels were far from a happy family. The mother Anne died of brain cancer in 1973, Aww. leaving yeah, leaving Russian to be the sole parent of his seven children. Ooh. Yeah. After his wife's death, his alcoholism worsened and he traveled regularly, leaving the children home alone without any supervision. Basically allowing them to do whatever they want. I mean, they were a well-to-do family. Dude couldn't get a nanny for the kids. I guess not. All so, right. But he did struggle to parent them. That's hard. Yeah. One of the children would later say, quote, chronic illness, alcoholism, and a repressive Catholic moral and sexual outlook was what caused the household to turn tor- turmoil. So it thing doesn't was, sound like it things were chaotic there. Yeah. So two of these seven children were 15-year-old Michael and 17-year-old Tommy, who Martha befriended. Okay. They were on the same age, so. They lived only 150 yards from each other, right across the street. And the Skakel brothers were known in the neighborhood for their, quote, poor behavior and lack of discipline. Well, I mean,
0: no parent is home. I'm sure they're seeking attention literally anywhere else, whether it's negative or positive.
1: Yeah, so schoolmates reported that they were, quote, very rambunctious. Uh, They definitely got into a lot of trouble, and there was a lot of partying going on in that house. Uh, One of Martha's friends was actually surprised that she was hanging out with the Skakel family as much as she was. You know, she was on the basketball team. Straight A's. Why would she be hanging out with these, like, delinquent children? Yeah. Um, But both Tommy and Michael were known to have very explosive tempers. And they would rival against each other in everything they did, you know, from sports to girls. So it was always a competition. I mean, I feel like that's normal between two brothers that are around yeah. the same age. But it seems like more than that. It seemed kind of toxic. Okay. So the night before Halloween is commonly known as Mischief Night. Yeah. Yeah. We all know what Mischief Night Devil's is. Devil's Night. Or... I've never heard of it referred to as I'm that. The Crow? No. Girl, you're are like watching a... that one. Is that too dark for me? I mean, maybe. Yeah, okay. I'm going to pass. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, Mischief Night, if you don't know, it's where teenagers engage in jokes and pranks. Um, they play ding dong ditch, toilet papering a house is a big one. Oh, yeah. Cars, smashing pumpkins. Um, not anything we condone because these were considered like harmless pranks, but the times were different back then. And I feel like, like today, if you're, like, egging someone's car and toilet papering their house. Like, oh, yeah. You can get into a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. I feel like back in the 70s, it was like a harmless joke. Yeah. But it was that classic, are, you know, just kids being kids. But yeah. So
0: still. Yeah. You but, know, not fun to
1: deface somebody's property. No. So don't do it. So on Mischief Night, October 30th, 1975, Martha went out to hang out with some of her friends to participate in these activities and then went to the Skakel House to hang out. The father rushed in. He was not home on this particular night. He was away on a hunting trip. So Tommy, Michael, Martha, and some of Martha's friends all piled into a Lincoln in the driveway at about 9 p.m. And it was said that they sat in the car for about a half hour just listening to music. Yeah. Being teenagers. Yeah. So at about 9.30, uh, they were hanging out. I'm like, I'm gonna hurry. it's like a half hour. Okay, So uh, at about this time, some of the other Skakel brothers came outside saying that they needed to use the car to drive their cousin home. Michael took this ride with his brothers and cousin, leaving Tommy, Martha and her friends behind. So one report stated that Martha was quote, flirting with Tommy and was last seen with him quote, falling behind the fence in the Skakel backyard around nine thirty. So like hooking up. Okay. Um, I also read that there was some back and forth between Martha and Tommy that had some sexual overtones. Um, and at one point, Tommy pushed Martha down, falling on top of her. And the friends that they were there with got embarrassed by this. And, like, they just left them to themselves. Like, you know, like in, you know, middle school, high school, if your friends make it yeah, out, your boyfriend like, boy starts with, making out. You're like, you just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm leaving. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You guys have your moment. Yeah. And, uh Go into the other room. So um, I just want to get into Martha's diary a little bit. Um, okay. She kept a diary and she wrote about some of the interactions that she had with the Skakels. Okay. In one entry she wrote on September 12th, 1975, uh, she wrote, quote, Dear Diary, me, Jackie, Michael, Tom, Hope, Maureen, and Andrea were driving in Tom's car. I was practically sitting on Tom's lap because I was the only one steering. He kept putting his hand on my knee Then I was driving again and Tom put his arm around me. He kept doing stuff like that. Um, In another entry written on September 19th, 1975, she wrote, Michael was so totally out of it that he was being a real asshole in his actions and words. He kept telling me that I was leading Tom on when I don't like him, except as a friend. I said, well, how about you and Jackie? You keep telling me that you don't like her and you're all over her. He doesn't understand that he can be nice to her without hanging all over her. So, Michael seemed a little weird. Yeah. On October 4th that same year, she wrote, I went to a party. Tom S. was being an ass. At the dance, he kept putting his arms around me, making moves. So, these entries would later be used in court, but I just wanted to mention them real quick so you get Martha's personal interpretation of the Skaggle boys.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like they were kind of a little
1: touchy feely. Yeah, a
0: little too touchy feely with her, and she was not a fan of it.
1: Yeah, they didn't know boundaries. It seemed Which like
0: that's. I'm not surprised.
1: For teenage boys, they
0: have no. Especially when like their mother thinking. isn't
1: around and their father's yeah. not really present. Yeah, like we said to be, you know, delinquents. Yep. Any um, attention, whether negative or positive, is attention. So back to October 30th, 1975, between 930 and 10, Martha left the Skagel's house to go home, but she unfortunately never made it. And remember, she only lived right across the street. Yeah. So in the very early hours of of October 31st, when Martha had not yet returned home, her mother started calling her friends. One of these friends shared that she had last seen Martha with Tommy Skagel the night before. When Dorothy woke up for the day a few hours later and realized Martha still wasn't home, she went to the neighbor's house and younger brother Michael answered the door. And he told Dorothy that he had not seen her daughter. She later stated that she thought Michael did not look healthy, that he looked hungover. Uh, This is when Dorothy alerted the police, stating that it was not like Martha to not return home. So, a gruesome discovery was made later that afternoon by a friend of Martha's, whose name is Sheila, and she was on this documentary, so I thought it was okay to, like, say her name. Yeah. So, like, I mean, how shitty is it that you discover your best friend? That's... I... I can't even... I can't even imagine. Yeah, so according to the episode of Unsolved Mysteries that I watched, um, this friend was taking a shortcut through the Moxley property on her way over to help with the search. She found Martha face down under a tree in the backyard at the edge of the Moxley property. Her jeans and underwear had been pulled down to her knees, but there was no evidence of sexual assault. She was beaten with a six iron golf club so hard that the shaft broke. Jesus fucking Christ. Yep. And a jagged piece of it was used to stab her through the neck. Oh my God. All of the blows were to her head. The head of the club was found near the driveway where she appeared to be attacked. And police concluded that she was dragged across the grass to where she was later discovered. Um, there's another picture that we'll post of the grass, but literal fucking drag marks. Oh my God. Through the grass. Police later confirmed that the club was an expensive Tony Penna golf club set that belonged to Tommy and Michael's late mother, Anne, who, remember, passed away two years prior. Huh. Yeah. So Steve Carroll was one of the first investigators from the Greenwich Police Department to walk up to Martha's body. He described the scene as... I can't pronounce this word. A maniacal? Mani- maniacal? Maniacal. Thank you. I got you, girl. A maniacal attack that should have been stopped but didn't. So he was, like, feet past the point of death.
0: Yeah. Obviously this was, like, a very violent attack yeah. that had a lot of emotion and
1: rage. And remember, I did give a trigger warning. Yes. So he also said, quote, we didn't even know what color hair she had because it was all blood red.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: all of the blows or damage were all to her head. And we could see a path that she had been dragged from down in the high grass, down to where her final resting place, which was under the pine tree. So investigators traced the trail of blood to the Moxley driveway. And, quote, she had been bludgeoned right near the driveway because there was a huge pool of blood. Oh, my God. Um, and I just kind of had a little thought here. Why didn't the mother see this when she was yeah, going to the neighbor's house? To just what I her? was
0: thinking was how did she not see blood?
1: But then after I watched the 40 hours episode and saw the picture of like the Moxley property, they had like a U shaped driveway. Oh, okay. And the Skagel house was like directly across from one side of the driveway And the Moxley House sat on, like, the other side of the U, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, her mother must have walked down the street from the side of the driveway that was closest to the house and then cut diagonally across the street. Yeah, she probably didn't go by it. Rather than walk, like, the shape of her driveway and then straight across the street to the Skakel House. I'll post a picture of this so it's, like, more clear. Okay. But, like... They could have gone down one side of the driveway, cut across the street, or yeah. down the other side of the driveway and across the street. Makes sense. Um, but if she were to go down the driveway the other way, she would have absolutely seen the blood and the drag marks. Oh, yeah. So, again, like, I'll post a picture of this, but, like, if you went down that direction in the driveway, like, you wouldn't have been able to miss it. Uh, detectives believe Martha was attacked from behind somewhere between 9 30 and 10 based on reports of dogs barking in the neighborhood that night oh my god yeah so tommy skakel was said to be the last person seen with martha and remember i mentioned part of one of martha's diary entries tommy had been trying trying to make several advances on her so please initially focus their investigation on him. And when he was questioned by the police, he said he last saw Martha around 9.30 p.m. outside his house, where he said goodbye to her, went inside, and watched a movie with the family's live-in tutor around 10 p.m. So they can't afford nanny, but they can have a live-in tutor. Okay. Okay, besides the point. um, This tutor later states that he didn't notice anything unusual about Tommy. And this is important because Martha was just violently murdered within the last few minutes to half hour yeah how do you clean yourself up and compose yourself in that short amount of time that's weird um he then went to his room to work on a very specific homework assignment a report on abraham lincoln um investigators did look into this detail and his teachers denied ever assigning such project
0: okay so dude was just like what, doing homework for the fucking fun of
1: it? I, Come on, kid. I don't know. We don't know the reasoning why he said this. So he took and passed a lie detector test, and no charges were ever brought against him. The live-in tutor, uh, his name was Kenneth Littleton. He was also questioned, but not until fall of 1976, so an entire year later. Why? He reportedly had no idea who Martha Moxley even was. Um what? Excuse me. Well listen, the night she was murdered, um, was his first day of work at the escape oh, okay. home. All right. Okay. Um, but he took and failed several eye detector tests. Oh. But he was never charged with any connection to the case. So not long after the murder, I think it was like January of nineteen seventy six, so like a couple three months, months. Yeah. Kenneth was fired by the Skagel family. Don't know why, but he moved to Nantucket, which is like a little island off Massachusetts. Yeah. Near Martha's Vineyard. Um, He moved to Nantucket where it was reported that he heavily drank. He was doing drugs and he was committing some petty crimes. Investigators really didn't believe that he had anything to do with it because what motive did he have to kill Martha? He didn't know her. He had never met her. And the way she was killed indicated to the police that it was somebody who knew or had a relationship with Martha.
0: Yeah, that seems very personal. Very
1: personal. Beating her like past the point of yeah, death. Exactly. That's so when Michael Skagel was questioned about his whereabouts that night, he said he left his house around 9 15, 9 30, drove to his cousins, whose name was Jimmy Tarion. And they went there to watch the premiere of Mighty Python's Flying Circus. And this is when they left Tommy and Martha behind with her friends. And he returned home around 11 p.m. So one of these friends that was at the Skakel home that night later states that Michael never took that alibi ride. Um, But I'll mention something later on who was at the Terrian household and recalls seeing Michael there.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Also love Monty Python.
1: I know you do. <laughs> Did you see the uh that movie?
0: Oh yeah, the Monty Flying Python's Surf? Flying Circus. Is oh, that my the God, only yet. Monty Python? Oh no, there's so so many. There's Monty Python's Holy Grail, Flying Circus. That's the one that we watched. Meaning of, of Life. Life. They're all
1: amazing. Okay, yeah, I don't know these. I'm sorry.
0: It's it's British humor. It's it might be too dry for you.
1: What are you trying to say?
0: Nothing. I love you. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> All right. Me and Amanda just have very different interests, but we're soulmates at the same time. Yeah. So Greenwich Police did a cursory search of the house, where um, you know they had the father Rushton's permission, but they never obtained an actual search warrant to do a thorough search. Okay. Um, this led to accusations of special treatment for the well-connected, influential family.
0: Yeah. Well, you're not gonna imply that I member of the kennedy family did a murder oh because why oh. Oh.
1: so soon after the murder in january of 1976 the Scakel family stopped cooperating with police entirely refusing to be interviewed anymore martha's murder went cold very fast remaining unsolved for years and nothing about the case was ever mentioned publicly even the rennet even the residents, I'm combining residents in Greenwich in one word. Hey, it's I don't all know right. why. It's all right. Even the residents of Greenwich and Bellhaven didn't speak of the crime. Even though leads were far few in between and the investigation seemed to be going nowhere, the police never stopped searching for answers. So in 1991, the investigation was reopened after a rumor started that another Kennedy family member may have been involved in Martha's murder. Oh. An allegation was made that he was at the Skagel house that night, but that ended up being false. Okay. Um, but his name was William Kennedy Smith, and he was being charged for a rape in Florida. Oh. Yeah. Um, he did end up getting acquitted from this charge, and the rumor that he was involved in Martha's murder was debunked. Okay. But it did put this case back in the spotlight. Yeah. It's good that I put it back on the spot. Yeah. So apparently Rushton Skakel had hired a private investigator to clear his family name, thinking information would come about and would point to other suspects, specifically Kenneth Littleton, the family's live in tutor. Okay. Um, but his plan completely backfired because all clues pointed to a different prime suspect. So also in the same year, 1991, police brought in a well-known forensic pathologist, Dr. Henry Lee, and he was able to use technology that wasn't available at the time of the murder. Okay. Um, he examined clothes that were found in the discarded garbage of the Skakels shortly after the murder. Hairs and fibers were found, and some of these hairs were said to be microscopically similar to Martha's.
0: Interesting. So,
1: other hairs were also found, which Dr. Lee concluded that they belonged to a Caucasian male. But no hair samples were collected by possible suspects, so they had nothing to compare these hairs to. Okay. He was, however, able to provide a possible motive after studying the crime scene photos. He stated that the blood smear on her body indicated that someone had tried to use force on her and was most likely a sexually motivated homicide. Interesting. Yeah. That's... So, two private investigators, Jim Murphy and Willis Krebs, interviewed the Skakel brothers about their activity from that night of the murder, and it turned out that both of them had previously lied to police. Now, remember, this is, like, 15, 16 years after the murder, and, like, remember they didn't cooperate yeah after but you know i i guess they came around after a few years it seems well yeah like
0: you said Rushton was trying to clear the family name yeah. so they were coming forward assuming that you know it would help clear their name
1: yeah so uh so they did lie to police before tom disclosed that it was not 9:30 but closer to 10 that he last saw martha that night in 1975 Apparently the two had been fooling around outside the house, making out mutual petting. So not only was he the last one to see her alive, but he was also with her at the time investigators estimated she was killed. Younger brother, Michael told the police that he did not go to bed when he arrived home from his cousins at 11 PM that night, but that he climbed a tree outside of Martha's bedroom and masturbated. What the fuck is wrong with you? Uh,
0: it dude do
1: that in your house. He sat outside her window in a tree in what the fuck? Yeah. And like did he say that she was in her room?
0: Like is that s- what he was trying to like? If it was
1: at eleven PM, she was yeah, already dead. She was and, gone. Yeah.
0: Like. So it's like, what are you doing in a tree outside of her room? Like
1: because he was a fucking creep. Yeah. Oh my God. Ugh. So the case gained more national attention when a man named Dominic Dunn published a best-selling novel in 1993 based on the murder. Uh, this guy even wrote about the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, okay. Uh, but he later encouraged a LA police detective, Mark Furman, to investigate the case. Furman even started to write a book about the case and promised that they would eventually be able to name the killer. Greenwich authorities did not welcome Furman's input as he was an outsider. He was out of L.A., um, but he believed authorities were hiding old mistakes. Yeah, I that
0: tends to happen a lot. you have noticed that a lot of different police agencies will, like, refuse to work with each other, whether it's based on their own pride or, yeah, trying well, to um, hide old mistakes. A lot and... of shit
1: happens in L.A., so I'm sure this yeah, guy has yeah. a ton of experience, um, but they were not having this guy's opinion at all. Uh, one retired police detective, Steve Carroll, and he was the, remember, he was the first officer yeah, to- Yeah, to find her body or to see her body. Yeah. Um, he was one of the few that did cooperate with Furman, agreeing investigators made mistakes, but he insisted that the Skakels did not get special treatment. He stated, quote, mistakes happen because of inexperience. The department had not handled a murder in 30 years. So, I mean, even if you don't have to deal with things. Yeah. You should still know protocol. Like, exactly. Like, I've been CPR certified for close to 10 years. Have I ever had to do it? Yeah. No.
0: And also, like, if your department hasn't handled a murder case in 30 years, why did not you call in Connecticut State Police to help or something and be like, hey, we need additional investigators on this because, just because we're not equipped to handle this. Yeah, and
1: just because you don't handle things, like, yeah, you, should. you might not ever have to come across a murder, or you might not again, like the CPR that you might ever have to do it. I hope I yeah, never have to get CPR, but you should still know the know protocol, the yeah, and the process and the correct steps, and not oh, we're inexperienced, so we're just going to do the best we can. Yeah, calling no. your fucking resources—that's
0: that's not how it works. Yeah.
1: <sighs> anyway, uh, Furman's interest did give the Moxley family a renewed sense of hope that the murder of their daughter would finally be solved. And the killer will be brought to justice Poor fucking family. Yeah. Um, I'll mention some quotes from her mother later that fucking tore me apart. Ugh. So Furman's book called Murder in Greenwich was published and released in 1998 and publicly named. You ready? Drum roll. Michael Skakel as the prime suspect. Interesting. Did you guys think it was going to be Tommy? I had a feeling. Yeah. But no, nope. I mean, it makes sense. It was Michael. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to make it seem like it was Tommy and then yeah.
0: throw a little M. Night Shyamalan twist in there.
1: Uh, Michael Skagel is the is their suspect. So another book called Greentown or in by Greenwich native, Tomothy, Tomothy, Timothy. Timothy, Timothy. Sorry, Timothy. It's Dumas. been a long day, guys. Yeah. Um, so Timothy Dumas, I'm sorry he also suggested possible involvement of one of the Skakel brothers and being a Greenwich native, I'm sure he knew yeah. the reputation of this family. In September of 1994, detective Frank Garr retired from the Greenwich PD and took a job with the state prosecutor's office as an investigator. He took the Moxley file with him to work on the case full time. So in May of 1998, A panel of three judges approved a request made by prosecutors for a grand jury investigation. The state's chief court administrator appointed Bridgeport Superior Judge George M. Thim to investigate the evidence gathered by the police department in the state's attorney's office. And grand juries like this, I guess, are rare in Connecticut, and they're only used when other investigative procedures have failed. Okay. So, Judge Thim had the power to subpoena witnesses to testify, which prosecutors in Connecticut do not have this power, and have complained that this hurt the case because they were unable to force witnesses and suspects to speak with them. That's frustrating. And this is May of 1988. This is over 20 years later. Yeah. So, it's a little late to the game. The grand jury interviewed more than 50 witnesses in connection to the case. One of these witnesses were former staff and classmates of the Elon School in Poland Springs, Maine, where Michael Skagel allegedly confessed to the murder while seeking rehab treatment. One former classmate, Gregory Coleman, would later testify in a pre-trial hearing that Michael told him, I'm gonna get away with murder, I am a Kennedy. Wow. So Michael was sent to the Elon School in the hopes to avoid criminal charges after being arrested for drunk driving in New York in 1978. Um, and he was only 17 years old this time. And he actually actually later attended Curry College in Milton, Massachusetts, oh. where he, where he earned a bachelor's degree in English. Okay. But, I mean, who cares? Yeah. I don't. I just thought it was interesting that you know. One of my sisters went to Curry. Yeah, he went to, you know, a well-known school in the area, but he got to go to college and get a degree, and
0: Martha Which did Martha not.
1: didn't get to do any of that. Nope. So for 18 months, the grand jury held hearings behind closed doors, officially wrapping up on December 10th, 1999. Judge Thim had 60 days to review the evidence and decide if there was enough to finally make an arrest. So on January 19th, 2000, almost 25 years after Martha's murder, it had been announced by prosecutors that an arrest warrant had been issued for an unnamed juvenile. Attorney Mickey Sherman told reporters that his client Michael Skakel was the person in question, and that he was on his way to Connecticut to surrender. Oh my God! So he surrenders to Detective Frank R. and that's the guy that like, yeah, took the case with him, and when he became a detective. Um, And he was booked on charges of murder as a juvenile. And remember, he was 15 at the time. At the time of his arrest, he's 41. Jesus. Uh, And he was able to post his bail of $500,000. Yeah, half a million dollars. This guy was like, okay, I got that. Um, I'm sure it was just, like, daddy's money, though. Probably. Probably. The only comment he made at the time of the arrest was, I did not commit this crime. So the motive was believed to be jealous rage over the attention that Martha was showing to his older brother, Tommy. Apparently he was writing an autobiography and in it he wrote, I wanted her to be my girlfriend.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then like, ask her out. Don't masturbate outside her bedroom window in a tree.
1: Yep. So, at the time of his arrest, Michael was married to a woman named Margot Sheridan. And he had a child with her. And Margot filed for a divorce shortly after he was arrested for Martha's murder. And the divorce was finalized in 2001. Okay. So, she did not stand by his side for this. So, I'm wondering if she believes yeah. that he did it as well.
0: She thought, yeah, that something had happened.
1: So Michael's trial began on May 4th, 2002 in Norwalk, Connecticut, and it went took four weeks. Um, so this asshole murders a girl, lives his life for 25 years as a free man, posts his bail when he finally gets arrested, and then he's walking free for over two years before his trial begins. So he was arrested in 2000. His trial began in 2002. Ugh. Yeah, you're that gonna you're sense. gonna get more pissed later on. Just wait. Oh, I'm already so annoyed. This is this is nothing compared to what's about to happen. Um, former classmate Gregory Coleman, who I already mentioned before, he also stated in his pretrial statement that he, referring to Michael Skagel, he had made a comment that he was trying to make advances towards this girl and that this girl was not complying with those advances. And thus he drove her skull in. So this 15-year-old boy was told no, and instead of accepting the rejection and moving on, he thought the acceptable thing was to kill the girl? Yeah. Um, Sounds
0: sounds reasonable.
1: I just feel like this is why some people are afraid to say no. Oh, yeah. Because they don't want to get hurt. Yep, because guys don't know what the word no means and it it seems like he was used to getting things handed to him and always getting what he wanted exactly and when he was told no because a girl was not interested in him
0: yeah he he, just
1: he thought he could kill her apparently do better yes with your sons yeah especially this family they you know you don't raise your sons to to do shit like that and no means no no, and it's nothing personal and it's just so yeah like
0: anybody has the right to say no if they don't want to be with you like man woman whoever does not matter
1: it's it's so fucked up
0: every person has the right to say no
1: yeah and if and if you and if you are in the situation you should never have to make that decision to Comply in yeah. in to try to avoid being hurt, killed, or assaulted at anything. Yeah, it's and you know it's what? It's still bad. an issue. It's
0: still an issue. Oh my! It's fortunately it'll probably always be an issue because that's just how humans are. Yeah,
1: that's fucked. So Coleman was not able to testify in the actual murder trial uh, in 2002 because he died of a heroin overdose in August of 2001. No, but they were able to get those statements from him and those behind closed doors pre-trial hearings that were happening like in secret um and his testimony from that earlier hearing was read to the jury this made michael's older brother steven infuriated he stated that greg coleman was quote high on heroin on methadone and he was doing 20 to 25 bags of heroin a day so before the trial, Coleman admitted to attorneys that he was high on drugs before giving his testimony. But nine other witnesses told the jury that Michael implied he killed Martha. Yeah. So, so it wasn't ba- just him. It wasn't just this guy. And Michael just basically couldn't keep his mouth shut. Um. But regardless, if you're high on drugs, you know, I just don't feel like you're going to go into yeah. a serious setting like that and just make false accusations yeah and you know what even though this guy was on drugs and he did die of a drug overdose he made a similar testimony that uh, many other people did yeah so
0: well like we said in our our last episode with the bedford highway killer where we had a lot of people with substance abuse issues who were witnesses like you know just because they were doing substances doesn't mean that they're they're Less of a person, yeah, or their
1: statements are invalid, exactly. And he admitted to it, he said, Hey, yeah. I'm high as fuck. And they were like, Okay, tell us what you know, yeah, we don't care. Mean,
0: it's not like it was just him or just him and one other person, there was nine other people, yeah.
1: So, what also came to light was apparently in 19, not, not 1977, 1997, Michael Skagel sat down for some recordings with ghostwriter Richard Hoffman. And for uh, Michael's auto, this is for Michael's autobiography, and it was titled "Dead Man Talking: A Kennedy Cousin Comes Clean." Oh my God, you're yeah. so dramatic, dude. Yeah. So one of these recordings that was played during the trial later on was described as a uh, particularly damning. The night of Martha's murder, he stated he was drunk, had been smoking marijuana, and was sexually aroused when Martha's mother Dorothy came to his door Halloween morning looking for her daughter. Michael said he panicked saying I was still high from the night before a little drunk. He stated that he thought to himself, did they see me last night talking about masturbating in the tree being a fucking weirdo. But prosecutors argued that he was referring to being seen beating Martha with, with the golf club. Yeah. So after the trial, Michael's cousin, Robert Kennedy Jr. accused the prosecutors of misinterpreting Michael's words in their closing statements Implying that this was his confession to the crime. But this was the piece of evidence that basically ended up with him being convicted. Um, but apparently part of this recording was not played in court. Michael saying, I hope to God nobody saw me jerk off. Not, I hope, you know. Yeah. I hope that they nobody saw me. Saw me. Yeah. Yeah. So... It seems like prosecutors cut off the end of the recording. Yeah, to
0: make the context fit. Their, exactly. Yeah. Their narrative. Yeah.
1: Um, but again, the Skagel's defense counter argued that there was no physical evidence to the victim and that he indeed had an alibi for the time frame Martha was murdered. But the prosecutors quote, painted a picture of a jealous teen infuriated after being rejected by his crush, under the influence of drugs and alcohol with access to the murder weapon yeah so i do believe he did have a motive yeah he definitely did and i mean like it was a golf club from your house like yeah the murder weapon was of your family's property yeah so june 7th 2002 after deliberating for four days the jury found michael skagel guilty for the murder of martha moxley His bail was revoked, and he was held at Gardner Correctional Institution in Newtown, Connecticut, while he awaited sentencing. And on August 29th, 2002, he was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison. Good. Um, You're not going to think that for a while. Well, I know that this, like we said, it's still unsolved, so
0: I'm interested to see what goes wrong within the next... Couple minutes. Yeah. But
1: ugh. so sometime in August of two thousand three, Michael's attorneys tracked down a former classmate of Michael's and his name was Tony Bryant, and he told them that two of his friends from New York, uh their names were Adolph Hasbrook and Burton Tinsley, they were visiting Bell Haven the night of the murder and had confessed to killing a girl. Okay, so those people just come out of the woodwork from nowhere. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, he told investigators that Hasbrock had become obsessed with Martha. Apparently, they had met before during previous visits to Belhaven, and he complained to Tony, quote, I don't understand why she's spending her time with those guys, when she could be with me. A quote from Michael. Okay. Bryant said... Um, no, that was a quote from the other guy. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, Brian said that he was with the two when... They picked up some golf clubs from the Skakel backyard, claiming one of them had, quote, bragged about wanting to hurt someone. He says he wanted no part of it and left the neighborhood. He apparently meets up with them after the murder, and apparently what they told him was, quote, we did it. We achieved our fantasy. They never implied who, but he knew exactly who it was the next day when it was plastered all over the news. So this guy's coming out of the woodworks, Tony Bryant, and he's like, oh, yeah. like it's, it's a Skakel's attorney that
0: found these people. Yeah. That yeah. suddenly happened to also be visiting the area on Halloween and were like, oh, it was us, even though, you know, the years and years and years that they were investigating this before, these names were never brought up.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the police work was fucking sloppy as fuck in the beginning, and we know that already, mm-hmm. but still. So the Skakel's defense team used this information to request a new trial, which the judge denied. It was reported that Bryant refused to testify under oath. Hasbrock declined to be interviewed, and Burton Tinsley was unable to be reached. Hasbrock's attorney said that the allegations against his client were, quote, false and inflammatory. And he was surprised why anyone would believe Tony Bryant having a criminal history, including armed robbery and tax evasion. Yeah, like... They literally
0: came out of nowhere, decades later, and we're just like, "Oh, J.K., it was us guys the yeah. whole time." No, 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 no. no. So
1: this cousin of Michael's, Robert F. Kennedy, he published a book. So many books on this, on this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he his book was called "Framed: Why Michael Skakel Spent Over a Decade in Prison for a Crime He Didn't Commit." All the dramatic book titles. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. Thought. Um, It's like a whole sentence, that one. Uh, He stated prosecutors had no facts and no evidence and encouraged this theory of these two men killing Martha. He said Tony Bryant had no reason to lie, but on the contrary, Hasbro's attorney was baffled as to why anyone would believe him again with his prior convictions. Nobody in the neighborhood recalled seeing any strangers that night, and in a tight-knit, wealthy, security-patrolled community in the 70s, I'm sure yeah. people would have noticed. And, and I'm saying in the 70s because, like, you were very neighborly back then. Yeah. Now like... people keep to themselves in their homes. Um, I'm sure people would have noticed. So Robert was just trying to clear his cousin's name and, by extension, the Kennedy's name. When being interviewed for the 48 Hours episode, when he was pressed about this theory, he got up for the from the interview chair, arguing that there was lots of evidence that ties them to the crime. So... If you feel, feel strongly that these two men did it, why are you getting butt hurt when being asked about the theory? You yeah. get up from your chair leave. and there's lots of evidence and leave. Why are you getting
0: defensive, like you angry, sh- defensive?
1: If you should wanna talk about this stuff,
0: if yeah. it's what you believe, yeah. If there's so much evidence. Let's let's go over it. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Don't just
1: get up and walk away. So I just thought that was kind of odd behavior. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, Michael tried to appeal again in November of 2003, arguing that he should have been tried in juvenile court rather than superior court. This appeal was rejected, and on January 14th, 2006, uh, Connecticut State Supreme Court unanimously upheld the murder conviction. So, they all were like, nope, you're still guilty. Yeah. Um, He tried to appeal four times, all of which were denied. So, we're going to fast forward to September 2010. Um, Michael's been in jail for about eight years. Okay. Now he has new representation. Attorney Hubert Santos. He filed an appeal, and somehow on October 23rd, 2013, Skakel was finally granted another trial after many attempts on the basis that his attorney at the time of his original trial, Mickey Sherman, provided him with, quote, constitutionally... I can't speak constitutionally deficient. Yes, I knew how to say it. We've just been talking so much today that that I'm tripping over my words. Um, So basically saying that, like, you provided me with, like, shitty representation. It was not, you know, up to par. So saying that he basically botched the case for him. He also accused his former lawyer of being too chummy with the press. Referring to him as a media whore. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's kind of mean. Me. But maybe he was. Maybe he loved the spotlight. Yeah, he could have been. Um, Michael claims Sherman failed to focus on a more practical suspect in Martha's murder, his own older brother, Tommy. It was said that Sherman failed to convince the judge to allow Tommy to testify, stating he was going to invoke the Fifth Amendment no matter what we did. So instead of trying to get him on the stand, they, he was basically like, he's going to plead the fifth. He's going to plead the fifth anyway. That's... Didn't even try. Um, he also failed to call a critical witness who supported Michael's alibi. But in 2013, Michael's new lawyer, Santos, did call in this witness. And this witness was Dennis Osorio, and he said that Michael was at the Terrian household that night. Santos stated that he had no motive to lie about this piece of information as he was not related to michael and his team of attorneys argued that these missed testimonies would have created reasonable doubt and that you know the the judge agreed to this yeah and as a result he was released on a 1.2 million dollar bail on november 21st 2013 and i guess he had that 1.2 million apparently um, it doesn't end there. Prosecutors fought to have his conviction reinstated, and they did succeed in December 2016 when Connecticut Supreme Court ruled in a 4-3 to three decision that its repeti- his representation was valid with his first attorney. So he walked free for another three years and then went back to jail.
0: Jesus.
1: But... A year and a half later, in May of 2018, with a new judge on the bench, the court reversed its recent ruling with another 4-3 to decision.
0: Oh, my God. Stating
1: that Skakel's representation, you know, he did, in fact, to fail. I'm sorry. He did, in fact, fail to provide evidence of Michael's alibi during the original trial. So now they're saying
0: he wasn't represented properly. Yes.
1: So now he's entitled to a whole other trial. Oh, my God. This trial never happened, apparently. Um, Why am I not surprised? So this is the sad part that really fucked with me. Um, On October 30th, 2020, the 45th anniversary of Martha's murder the state of Connecticut announced Michael would not be retried, stating it was their belief that the state cannot prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. I feel like this is the biggest slap in the face the family could get. Not only was he not tried until 25 years after the murder, after confessing, after surrendering, not only was his conviction overturned and reinstated multiple times, but the final decision to never retry him again was made on the anniversary of Martha's death. That's just... Fucked up. Yeah. Fucked up.
0: Very poor decision making on their part.
1: Yep. So um, a former classmate, Richard Burns, says that he's played some golf with Tommy Skakel in the past. And he says that even though he didn't do it, it ruined his life. And he is a his, he's currently estranged from his brother, Michael. Michael did point the finger at Tommy too yeah so Martha did have a proper burial on November 4th 1975 about 500 mourners gathered at the First Lutheran Church of Greenwich for her funeral she was laid to rest in a private burial service in Putnam Cemetery in Greenwich, Connecticut and she's buried next to her father who passed in 1988 Mm -hmm. um And they have a Moxley family plot, so um, they'll all be together someday. Mm -hmm. Um, And for her mother, Dorothy, time has not made it any easier to deal with her loss. She stated to reporters, quote, Martha, my baby will never have a life. To lose a child is the worst thing in the world. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that killed me. Martha's family still believes Michael Skagel is guilty and they believe his wealth and powerful family connections are why he is free today. Yeah. But members of the Kennedy family believe he is innocent. Still to this day, nobody has been convicted of Martha's murder. Friends say she would have gone to do great things in life. Probably would have grown up to be a great mother. She was always a great friend. And in her last diary entry of 1974, Martha wrote, quote, Dear Diary, today is the last day of 74. hoo. 74 has been one of the best years of my life. Well, hope 75 is as good. Mm. Yeah, so fucked. Mm-mm. Regardless of who killed Martha, they are still walking free today. Well, Martha's entire life was ripped away from her. She never got to grow up, graduate high school, go to college, fall in love, get married, have children. She deserves justice. And the fact that the one prime suspect will never be tried again means the Moxley family probably won't ever get their justice for their daughter.
0: That's really sad.
1: And I'm not even sure if investigators are looking into anybody else or have looked into anybody else. So if anybody has any information on the murder of Martha Moxley, you can call the Greenwich connecticut police department at 203-622-8004 and that is the case of martha moxley
0: that was really sad yeah and
1: like look how pretty she is
0: she was so cute like a typical
1: like, Just like girl in the 70s yeah like a
0: little flower child
1: yeah so uh, we will post pictures of her we'll post pictures of the diary entries um i have Again, the picture of the drag marks through the grass. So I'm showing Amanda right now. Oh my God. Yeah, you can see how, you know, clearly something was brought through the grass. Yeah. Um, we'll post pictures of Michael Skagel. And I also have a really good picture of like the properties, like in relation to like Martha's house and the Skagel house and okay. how, you know, the driveway shaped and, you know, where she was found. Yeah. So we'll post all those, but I mean, I mean, I don't want to get sued and I don't want anybody coming for me, but
0: you have some ideas of who you think.
1: I just think they, they know something.
0: Yeah. Maybe. I agree.
1: Like Michael was seen at a cousin's house by someone who didn't even know him. So like, what reason did that guy have to lie? But one of Martha's friends say, no, he never took that ride. So it's it's really confusing, and I don't think Tommy did it because, again, like, the tutor saw him that night. Yeah. And if you are brutally killing someone, you need some time to clean up and compose yourself. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I yeah. Don't know but, but, yeah. But like you, it, you need... I the way it
0: happened, he wouldn't have not had blood on him or, you know something like that like it would have been obvious
1: yeah and the fact that um
0: yeah and the fact that the tutor said he seemed like fine like
1: yeah it might have had a crush on her and yeah you know she was kind of leaning towards tommy it seemed like i don't uh, what do you think i have some ideas
0: but like you said i don't want to get sued i, so. I, get to I know it. that
1: because he's still walking free yes he has these access people are to the so <laughs> um but yeah so That is the case of the murder of Martha Moxley. It happened in Connecticut, in New England. Still unsolved. And it really sucks because she deserves all the justice in the world.
0: Yeah. Her poor family deserves answers.
1: Yeah. Her poor mother. Uh, So that is it. That is it. Stay tuned for another Halloween episode. Halloween episode
0: coming up next. Stay spooky. Stay scary. Stay stay safe. safe.